If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Hey, good evening and welcome to episode 4 of the Yapping Yankees podcast. I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on this very nice Sunday evening, July 7th, 2019, with yet another edition of Yapping Yankees. How are you doing today? What a week it has been. I hope you had a very nice 4th of July. I know I did. I spent the entire day watching season 3 of Stranger Things, and that was definitely a very fun time. So I, I certainly hope... You spent the day very nicely, whether you went to the beach, spent the day with family, spent the day inside watching Stranger Things like me, whatever you did, watching Yankee baseball, which of course you should have also been doing. So regardless, hope you had a very nice 4th of July. But here we are on July 7th, 2019. It is a very nice Sunday evening here, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. But before we get into things on Yapping Yankees tonight where we yap Yankees and nothing but the Yankees, of course. want to start, as always, with the shout-outs. I want to shout-out Yankee Twitter and my personal family and friends and everybody for always giving me so much positive feedback on the podcast. And also want to shout-out, as always, Team Left Jab United Radio Network. They feature my podcast on their website and their social medias every week, which I very much appreciate. Find Team Left Jab across all social media platforms at Team Left Jab. They feature Team Left Jab Boxing Radio, Team Left Jab Uncensored, and of course, the Team Left Jab United Radio Network. So be sure to follow them. Sam does a very nice job over there and check it out. So, as we stand here on July 7th, as always, for episode 4 of Yapping Yankees. The episode is called All-Star Break because that is where we are at now. Despite the Yankees coming off of a pretty frustrating loss this afternoon, here we arrive at the All-Star Break of 2019, the Midsummer Classic as they call it. Now, there's been a lot of controversy surrounding the All-Star game and just the fan voting mostly, you know, for the most part. And I'm going to get into all of that. But before we get into it, Let's just be sure to name all the Yankees that will be going to the All-Star Game this year in 2019. First off, you have DJ LeMahieu going, who some people are even putting into MVP discussions for the American League this year. He's definitely the American he's definitely he's definitely the MVP of the Yankees if you ask me. So he gets a very deserved vote for the All-Star Game, so he will be there. Gary Sanchez will also be there catching, of course. Aroldis Chapman will be there, and two injury replacements, and Yankees subbing in for them. The guy who should have been there the entire time, Glaber Torres, is replacing Brandon Lau, the injured second baseman for the Tampa Bay Rays. And of course, Lau is going to be in the All-Star game, but he got hurt, so Glaber Torres gets the nod for the game, as he should have from the very start, which was ridiculous that he didn't, and I was one of the ones definitely hollering about that on Twitter, you best believe that. And also replacing Marcus Stroman, of course, Toronto Blue Jays starting pitcher who has also been involved in Yankee trade talks so far. A lot of fans have wanted him. Some fans don't want him. But regardless, his injury replacement was Masahiro Tanaka of the New York Yankees. So Tanaka gets the nod. And although some people, including myself a bit, I guess, they look at Tanaka's numbers and they're like, I don't really really think those numbers are really all-star deserving. And 
I guess I'm slightly willing to listen to that, but I'm such a Tanaka guy. I'm just a big fan of his. And I think coming into this season, he's had to deal with a lot of pressure. Because Severino, of course, has been out since the beginning of the year. He has not pitched yet in 2019. And Tanaka was sort of looked at as the next guy up as the ace. Everybody's like, oh, he has to take control now. He's going to be the next ace of the team. He has to be. So he has really taken that, I think. And, and he has taken it well. Because if you look at it, he's been mostly consistent throughout the first half. I think that in a lot of times where, you know, especially when Herman got hurt and everything, I think that in a lot of times when the Yankees starting pitching looked absolutely lost and there was nobody you could turn to, definitely the most reliable one you could turn to is Tanaka, even now. I mean, yeah, the London start was absolutely awful. And his last start, he didn't necessarily have his best stuff, but he wasn't bad. So, you know, it's honestly... He's he's the most consistent Yankee starter, and I, I think for that fact alone, he has not had a bad season by any stretch of the imagination. I think he, he's deserving of this All-Star nod. Maybe not voted in, voted in first, but I think as it stands now, he's a solid replacement for Marcus Stroman. I, I think that's very fair. So good for Tanaka and good for the rest of the Yankees and, of course, the rest of the players that will be heading to Cleveland for the All-Star game in 2019. Congratulations to everybody. But, <laughs> but, it's always a but. And this goes back to what I was saying about Glaber Torres earlier when I feel he should have been voted in from the very beginning. There was a lot of controversy throughout, you know, just the, just the world of Major League Baseball about the fan voting. And I wanted to give my take on this thing because, honestly, I think fan voting is utterly ridiculous sometimes. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people out there and I'm not saying all baseball fans. There are a lot of baseball fans that objectively look at players' numbers, whether they're on their team or not, or, or on the team that they root for or not. And, you know, the, and there are a lot of fans where they just, they just vote because they're on their team. And that's not fair. And Glaber was one of those examples. I know you may be saying, you know, Mike, you're being silly by being mad at this after Glaber already got the All-Star game nod. I, I get that. But honestly, he should have been in before that. He was better than Brendan Lau in almost every category. Basically every category he was better. I mean, you know, not and, and again, it's not to take anything away from Brendan Lau. He's been having a great season, injured or not right now. And he deserved to be in the All-Star game, but not ahead of Glaber Torres. And yeah, in some aspects the numbers were close, but in I'm telling you, in like 90% of the aspects, if not all of them, Glaber had the edge over him. I mean, you have to look at these numbers. And you have to look at the, the big picture. That's why fan voting hurts the All-Star game sometimes. And that's why so many people are turned off to the All-Star game. You know, except for the fact that it means nothing, basically. But it really annoys big baseball fans, such as myself, when people will vote for a player on their own team just because they're on the team they root for. That's aggravating because the All-Star game is a big deal. It goes on a player's resume. It's mentioned throughout history. And if you're going to an All-Star game when you don't deserve it, or if somebody else is not going to an All-Star game when they do deserve it, that tarnishes legacies. You know, not humongously, but it's, it's a big deal going to the All-Star game. It's an honor because not everybody goes there. The best of baseball are supposed to be in this game. So don't vote in people that are not the best of baseball. I just think fans have to get that more in check with themselves. Don't, don't be a victim of biased voting. Be objective. Look at players' numbers and say, hey, they deserve to be there. That's valid. 
There are players that didn't get a nod at first, like Xander Bogarts, Labor Torres being another one of them. Just two guys right there among many other examples that I was like, why aren't these guys there? It just doesn't make it just didn't make any sense at the time. I know it's silly now because they're there, but I'm just saying at last if you came to me like in the middle of the week and asked me my opinion on this before Glaber got the nod after Brandon Lau got hurt, then I would have had a much more stronger opinion on this. But I've had more cool I've had more days to cool off. Glaber got the nod. It's all good. He's getting what he deserves, even if it's not at the right time. But I just think fan voting needs to be addressed, possibly changed. Who knows? And I just think the way some voters vote, it's really problematic. Because the All-Star game shouldn't be seen as a game where people are voted in just because they play for a team and their fans are victims of biased voting. Not a fan of that. So that's my take on the All-Star game voting. But nonetheless, everybody who's going to the All-Star game, as I said, it's a high honor in my opinion to go to that game. And the players would agree. So congratulations to them. So, with that said, let's get to the regular weekly routine here on Yapping Yankees, which, of course, first up is recapping the last week of Yankees baseball. So, of course, the last time I spoke to you, the Yankees were just heading out of their hectic London trip. My goodness. I still look back on last weekend, and I'm like, how the hell did those games even happen? <laughs> it's crazy. The games were, were, were whacked out. But the London trip came and went. They left. And they had the day off on Monday, of course, a traveling day to come back to the States. And they would immediately open things up at home, but on the road, if that makes sense. Because they went to City Field to face the Mets. So they were in New York, but it was a road game for them because, of course, they played in City Field. So, it would start things out as this. The Yankees would jump on the board right away in the second inning, scoring two runs. The Mets would tack on a run off of James Paxton, who... Again, after today's game, I'm going to have a lot more to say about James Paxton. Positive things, not negative things. Because the last two starts, he's been consistent, and the offense has not helped him out. So, I'll definitely have quite a bit to say about that. But, he allowed a solo shot. That's all good, whatever. Two to one. And then the eighth inning comes around, and the bullpen, and, you know, of course, they, they were probably just coming off a little bit of a deja vu from London because all the pitchers there were a disaster. And Tommy Canely came in for the seventh inning, had himself a nice inning, scoreless seventh. And then Ottavino came in, got an out, but then he left runners on base. And he, uh, he had the Yankees get into a big, big jam in the eighth inning. And then Britton would come in, and he would allow the go-ahead two runs. The Mets would take a 4-2 a to two lead. And of course, they would win by that score, 4-2. to two. They would score the three runs in the eighth inning. So that was, that was a bit of a tough loss for the Yankees, of course. You never like losing to the Mets if you're if you're the Yankees or or a Yankee fan. You don't like to see the Yankees lose to them. But you, you can't win them all. They just got off of a nice weekend, although hectic weekend in London. And you say, oh, maybe they're tired, whatever. Wh- whatever the reason may be. You're like, all right, we'll move on, whatever. Maybe we'll get the split tomorrow. So the next day came around on Wednesday. And Wednesday was a big day, and I was really, really excited because Wednesday was the day that Domingo Herman returned. And not only was I excited just, you know, just to generally see Herman, but I was generally excited for the rotation. Because there's no question, even during the winning, sometimes the rotation would look, would look really alarming, and the offense would bail them out a lot. That was a big part of the story. So when Herman comes back, someone who was effective, who was as effective as he was before his injury, his hip, his hip flexor injury, I was like, okay, this ought to be good. Can't wait to see him back. Now, on the first pitch of the game, 
A little bit of a red flag because Jeff McNeil hits a solo home run on the first pitch that he throws back from the I.L. But here's the admirable thing. A lot of pitchers, especially young pitchers, it's definitely possible that after they come off of a fairly long I.L. stint, they come back, they give up a home run on the first pitch they throw. It's very easy for them to just fall apart like a house of cards after that, right? Well, this is where you have to tip your cap to Domingo Herman because he did anything but collapse. He went right out there, got his outs, and had a phenomenal start. Six innings, just one run allowed on the solo shot. Six strikeouts, only five hits allowed, no walks. And that was done very well. The Yankee offense piled on. DJ LeMayhew did some work. Aaron Judge had a hit and an RBI. Glaber Torres, two hits, two runs batted in. The Yankee offense did their job, so they would win 5-1 to one there and split with the Mets. So that's fine. You know, you'd want to take advantage of a bad team like the Mets and, and sweep them and then win the overall Subway Series three games out of four, going back to the series in Yankee Stadium where they also split. But whatever. You take the split. You got, a big, you got a big lead in first place in the AL East. Just move on to the next division, to the next series, which would be very important, of course, which is a series that just passed against the Tampa Bay Rays. The series started well, although kind of crazy, both extra inning games, and then ended in a frustrating way after today. So we'll talk about it all. So let's go back to Thursday. Thursday we'll flash back to. Now on Thursday, it was Jay Happ that started the game. Now, Happ and Paxton were similar in the sense that they had rough first innings. I mean, even though Happ allowed just the one run, he didn't look too sharp. But he would really neaten it up after that because he would go five and a third, and that'd be the only run he allowed. I mean, again, he wasn't too sharp. Five strikeouts, fine. He walked three people, and he only had he only allowed three hits. So it's whatever. He got through over five innings. That's fine. So the Yankee offense just staying in there, grinding. They're leading two to one. Come across the seventh inning, and they add another one, three to one, and then the bottom of the ninth comes around, and Aroldis Chapman comes in, and just has nothing. He has nothing working. The fastball's not working. The slider's not working. And before that, it was encouraging because Adovino came in, pitched two-thirds of an inning to finish off Hap's inning in the sixth. Adov- uh, Canely came in in the seventh, finished it off nicely. Zach Britton came in in the eighth, and then Chapman comes in, and you're like, all right, let's wrap this up. Come on. And we did not foresee this craziness happening. <laughs> because what would happen next... Chapman would allow two runs to allow a tie game. And with the bases loaded and two outs, he struck out Austin Meadows with a slider. Now, this was a complete miracle. And I even said this on Twitter. This was a miracle that Chapman got out of this inning. That he was able to get Austin Meadows out. He had nothing working. His fastball was all over the place. His slider was all over the place. He had a wild pitch or two past Gary. It was a disaster at the bottom of the ninth. It was awful. But then, the Yankees in the 10th come right out with five runs. (laughs) Five runs. Two-run single, go-ahead two-run single by DJ LeMahieu, the freaking man with runners in scoring position, guys. (laughs) And then Gary Sanchez comes up, three-run bomb, 461 into the second deck in left field in the Tropicana field or in, in in the dump, as I like to refer to it, as, a, as opposed to this, just the trop. But, regardless, the Yankees took an 8-3 to lead. 
They would take that lead into the bottom of the 10th. Luis Sessa would come in and sort of botch the inning, allowing a run, but then David Hale would come in and pitch a third of an inning and save the game. So they would win a hectic game, 8-4 to four in 10 innings. So a crazy start to the series, no doubt. Now, the next night on Friday, they would end up winning by the very same score, 8-4. to four. But there was also a lot of craziness in this game, too. So let's just skip way forward to towards the end of the game. Well, first off, Aaron Judge let off the game, well, not let off the game, but started the game in the first with a solo shot, second batter of the game. And then it would be 1 to 1, then the Yankees would be leading 3 to 2. Tampa would be would take a 4 to 3 lead later on. And then it would be 4 to 4 and they, and then it would force extra innings again. Because in a game where they seemed to be, you know, because again, they went down, they allowed the go-ahead two-run single by Kiermaier. And it was so close. Nestor Cortez Jr. almost got out of the inning from, from Kiermaier. And, and I didn't understand the pitch selection here because Kiermaier in this at-bat looked totally lost on Cortez's breaking pitches. And then they decide to throw him a fastball. And what do you know? He's right on it. And he just slashes a single into left field, drives in the go-ahead, the go-ahead two-run single, and Tampa takes the lead. And I'm like, oh, great. Late in the game, they take the lead. What's going to happen now? But then, in the top of the eighth right away, Aaron Hicks, clock, solo home run. It's, it's unbelievable. So then again, they go to extra innings at the, at the score of 4-4. Four to four. Like, oh, my God. The night before, they went to extra innings with the game tied up at 3. Oh, so, so aggravating. Another extra inning game in a row, I'm thinking to myself. Oh. So then, the 11th inning comes around. Aaron Judge, solo home run. After that, they don't stop. Gardner, three-run shot. Eight to four, and that would be the final score. So they would win, again, the same score as they did the night before, just in even crazier fashion, if you ask me. So, no doubt, a good and hectic start to the series with Tampa. Now, at this point, the Yankees are up on them eight and a half games in the division. The Red Sox didn't lose any ground at any point this weekend. In fact, they gained the last two days because they're just getting off of a sweep of Detroit. Yeah, because I'm looking right now, and the Red Sox, let's see, they won 6-3 to three today. So, they, they would sweep Detroit, as they should. They took advantage of a bad team. Good on them. But then Saturday would roll around. Yesterday. And this game was was much more frustrating. While, while good things happened, of course, it was still frustrating. So Brett Gardner would continue the home run streak this weekend. Three games in a row for him now with a home run. And he would start it off right away in the second inning with, with a shot because he was batting sixth. So they would immediately lead one to nothing. The Yankees being, and then in the bottom of the second, the mystery of Travis Darno starts. This is a guy before yesterday that I've always felt doesn't even belong in the major leagues as a catcher, and many people would agree. And and the Tampa Bay Rays Twitter, God has been driving me nuts. I I've been on the offensive with them because the stuff they tweet is just so mind-numbingly stupid. After he hit. The walk-off home run yesterday, which I'll get to. They tweet out because Darno has always been was a legend in New York or something like that. First of all, he was hated in New York. 
When he was with the Mets, nobody could stand the guy. So that's just a stupid tweet. I, I just, I don't even understand. And then, and then after we beat, after, after the Yankees beat them, on Friday night, they go out and they say, oh, it took us extra inning. It took them extra innings to beat us again. So, so it, it, who cares? You lost. <laughs> and everybody was, and there was one person, my, my, a, good, a good friend of mine on Twitter, Tyler. He, he, he responded to that tweet of me calling them out for saying that, as many others called them out for saying that. And he said, well, maybe they're just saying, you know, how gritty they are. They're giving themselves credit for fighting hard. Well, that would be a fine comment if they just worded it differently. They could have been like, oh, you know, fought hard. What are you going to do? Tomorrow comes around. Another tough extra innings loss. It's not how they said it. They said, oh, it took them extra innings to beat us again. Or so, some wording like that that sounds like, oh, you know, we're still so great and, they, and they're so bad that it took them extra innings to beat us again. If that wasn't what you meant, then just word it better. But if it was, if it was meant for what we took it as, get better at the Twitter game. I mean, I could just imagine the person running that account just sitting there just like saying, oh, what should I tweet today? It's just ridiculous. Bragging about a loss. Hmm. That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> kind of ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. So I just had to call out Ray's Twitter there right there for a second because they've tweeted out some pretty stupid stuff. But regardless, move on to Saturday. Yankees are looking to win three in a row against the Rays and at least take the series. So then Darno again, the mystery of Travis Darno today and yesterday. Darno tied the game with an RBI single. And then after that, in the seventh inning, no scoring would happen for five innings. And then Aaron Hicks finally, because it was just a dead game. And Sabathia, after allowing that run, got out of the inning very nicely. And then he just shut them down from there. So then Hicks drives in an RBI single to make a 2-1 to one Yankees late in the 7th, and you're like, okay, no scoring going on. Maybe the Yankees can hold on to this. But then it just, see, oh, it's, it was so tough. CeCe was doing so well, but then he allows a go-ahead two-run shot to Nate Lowe, who had a tough day today, by the way. He had four strikeouts. But did not have a rough day in the 7th inning yesterday because... <laughs> He took advantage of a hanging slider from CC Sabathia, and he crushed it. Right center field, 3-2 Tampa. So at that point, CC just had one more strike to go to get through seven innings of one-run ball against the second-place team in the AL East. That would have been great. And you know what? I still think CC did phenomenal because he would finish up the inning after the two-run shot, and he just made the couple of mistakes, one to Darno and then the one to Nate Lowe. Still seven innings, three-run ball. It's not bad at all. It was really good. I was satisfied with CeCe's start. It was just that in the, in the middle of the game, both offenses were dead, weren't able to add anything, weren't able to tack on runs at all. So it was unfortunate for CeCe. But then, again, Aaron Hicks to the rescue, just like the night before. The Yankees were down to their last strike in the top of the ninth. Last strike, and Aaron Hicks for the first time this year from the right side, because as we all know, Aaron Hicks is a switch hitter, Hits a solo shot to left field to tie the game at three. So you're like, oh my goodness, is it going to be a third day in a row with extra innings? Well, unfortunately for the Yankees in this case, it wasn't. Because then in the bottom of the ninth, Chad Green comes in. And you're like, all right, 
Let's see what happens. First two outs, he gets them easily. And then this is where this is where the head scratching was. And this is what prompted Ray's Twitter to tweet out that stupid tweet about Travis Darno being a legend in New York. <laughs> so stupid. He hits a solo shot to right center field. Didn't exactly look like it was going to get out, but had just enough carry to get out, and that's all that mattered because the Rays won. So it was a, it was a really tough game to get through as far as the offense really going to sleep on both sides. And then just home runs at the end being the difference. But the Yankees would end up losing the game. And you say, okay, maybe they come into today, take the series at least, win three out of four. That, of course, would not happen. Fast forward to today. Because today, James Paxson would take the hill. He gives up two runs in the first inning, couldn't get an out for a while. And it's just been really mysterious because Paxson has had a lot of trouble in the first inning. There were, there were interesting stats that Katie Sharp on Twitter, and, and I, I love her account. She is so great. I'm going to get it up right now and try to find the tweet because I've just, got, I've just got to find it. It was a really good stat about James Paxton in the first inning compared to the rest of his starts. I'm scrolling down the Twitter feed right now, and here it is. Okay. James Paxton this season. This is in credit of Katie Sharp. Go follow her on Twitter. She's really, really good, at KT Sharp. James Paxton this season, first inning, 17 runs in 15 innings pitched. The rest of the game, 20 runs in 56 and a third innings pitched. That's alarming. So, of course, the first thought you might think up in that brain of yours is, or at least I did, maybe, just maybe, you use an opener for him? Is that too outrageous? Maybe, maybe not. But, the numbers are there. Paxton struggles in the first inning. And does well the rest of the way. And that was definitely proven here, because guess what? Struggled in the first inning, allowed the two runs, didn't allow anything for the rest of the way, and got through six innings. And in the sixth inning, he allowed a jam into himself. First and third, nobody out. He worked himself into that kind of a jam. Then then struck out the side after that. And boy, was he pumped up after that. That's the Paxton I like to see. Because before this start, and before the start against the Mets, the the inconsistency was astounding. Now he's had two starts in a row where his stuff has been promising. And his numbers today backed up those stats by Katie Sharp. First inning bad, rest of the start typically pretty good. And today was pretty good. So good on Paxton, not really his fault. The offense just simply... Like the like they did with like they didn't with CC yesterday, just didn't have his back. They both pitched very good games. So today overall, of course, it just seemed that after those two runs were scored in the first inning, if you look at the scoring plays in the game, there are three scoring plays on MLB at bat. In the first inning, the RBI double for Tommy Pham and the RBI ground out into the force out for Avisael Garcia. And then the solo shot for Gardner in the second to make a two to one. That's it. That's all the scoring that would happen. Then from the top of the second after Gardner's home run on, no scoring on either side, the Rays would win by that score. But here's the one ranting piece that I just have to do about this game. And again, it's about the group of people that I constantly can't stand in this sport and in most sports. The officiating, the umpires. These men drive me insane. Now, I'm not making excuses 
saying that, oh, this is the one call in the game, you know, blah, blah, blah. But it was certainly a big one. And I'm also not saying that the Yankees couldn't have tried to score another innings. The offense was dead today, and I'm not excusing the Yankee offense for going to sleep. But I'm also not going to get on them too much because the offense has been good for a lot of the first half of the year. So, you know, it's whatever. I'll take the split at the end of the day. But the fact of the matter is, alongside the offense being dead, one inning frustrated the living hell out of me. And if... If you know, if you watched the game today, you know exactly what inning I'm talking about. The top of the third. Now, the inning started out with Bravik Valera, who got called up from AAA for today, and congrats to him getting his first hit as a Yankee in the major leagues. He led off the inning with a single. Austin Romine would then come up and followed up with a single of his own, ground ball right up the middle. And since Valera was off on the pitch, he made it to third on the hit. So now it's first and third, nobody out. Hicks comes up, has a horrendous at-bat. And after the last two days, I'm not getting on Aaron Hicks for anything, but he did have a horrendous at-bat. He did. Struck out on three pitches, had no idea what to do with Morton's breaking ball, and just struck out right away. Now Judge comes up, has himself a damn fine at-bat. Only for the umpire again to screw him up. And he would be called down on strikes. And the pitch that was called to strike was a fastball well below his knees. Now, this this is not just a, a rant just to rant. And if you're a diehard Yankee fan, you know why. Especially if you've, been watching, if you've been watching Judge since he came up. Aaron Judge has had awful luck with the strike zone in his early career so far. The umpires seem to have a complete inability to adjust. Aaron Judge is 6 feet 7 inches tall. Now, the strike zone is typically from around the knees up until maybe around, I don't know, the abdomen area, belly button area, the waist. You know, the, every, every umpire's strike zone is different, really. It's just, there's no definitive strike zone, really, when you think about it. Every umpire has a different strike zone. But that's around where it's from. It's supposed to be from around the knees up until around maybe the belly button area or maybe around the waist. That's typically where it's at. Now, when you get a bigger guy like Aaron Judge... He's six foot seven. He's not the typical six one, six two, maybe six three guy standing there at the plate. The strike zone is going to be higher where his knees are because he's taller. So what does the umpire do? And what have so many other umpires do when Aaron Judge comes up? They don't adjust the strike zone. And there was someone I saw on Twitter today saying, oh, it's the player's job to adjust to the strike zone and, and you know, especially Judge knowing that the umpires seem to not adjust to his height where his strike zone is. Maybe he should just take advantage. Yeah, maybe that's a little bit true, but the umpires need to adjust as well because then they screw Judge up and they screw the inning up and they screw the game up. That strike three call on that fastball under Judge's knees screwed up the game, not just that inning. At the time, they screwed up that inning, but it screwed up the game in the end because it ended at that final score. If the pitch was called a ball, Judge would have been on first base, the bases would have been loaded with one out, and then the fly ball that Didi hit after Judge was called down on strikes would have been a sack fly, tie game, hitters after that possibly could have done more because there would have only still been two outs after Didi's fly ball. So that is a potential game changer, and it was a game changer. You can't be making calls like that. 
And Judge is in the league for two and a half, three years now. You need to realize that the strike zone needs to be adjusted when it comes to him. He is not your average-sized hitter. The bottom of the strike zone moves up when he's up at the plate because he is six foot seven. That call just left a bad taste in my mouth from the moment it happened until the very end of the game. And that's why I just couldn't enjoy the game mostly from that point forward, especially with the way that they lost because there was no offense since the second inning when Gardner hit his solo shot. Who again, you know, I tip my cap to Gardner. He's been really hot lately. I, I do. He's been doing very well. And who would have known at this point that he that he has 15 home runs? It's crazy. But honestly, this is... This it was it was so annoying. I I I just can't because a lot of people again were telling me as if I was excusing the the Yankees' offense for being sleepy today. I wasn't. I realized there could have been a lot of other innings that they could have gotten things going. They did nothing. I know that. But because of my general disdain for umpires and the fact that that call was a big outcome on the entire game is frustrating. Sorry if you don't see it or understand it or think that I'm overreacting. It's frustrating to me. Get the calls right. And it was significantly low. It was under his knees. Judge turned, and and you'll never see Judge really flip out. He just, he sort of like puts his head down and looks back there, and you see he's talking to the umpire, but he never makes a big scene. He's too mature for that. Even Aaron Boone, he came out of the dugout. He came out of the dugout to holler at the umpire. It was a bad call, and it had an outcome on the game, and that's what made it really frustrating. But to take away from that, obviously, that's a massive story in the game. The Yankee offense also being dead asleep, big story in the game, and how well Paxton did after the first inning, another big story of the game, of course. Maybe with this offensive struggle these last two days, and of course, listen, lots of ups and downs throughout these long baseball seasons, I get it. And there are going to be times in this season where pitching's really bad, offense is really good, vice versa, both are going bad or both are going good. That's what happens You have when you have a long season. Things fluctuate. Factors fluctuate. But maybe in this little offensive struggle, you're missing Luke Voigt a bit because then in the middle of the week, he magically got thrown in the IL after being told, hey, maybe we'll only miss a couple of days. But then he went on the IL. And of course, DJ and Torres had off today. Now, me personally, I know a lot of managers typically like to give the players that they have going to the All-Star game a day off in the last game before the All-Star game. But they are going to have Monday off, and and, and they're going to have a couple of days off until the All-Star game on Wednesday. And then they'll have the day off Thursday. Like They're having a fair share of days off. So I guess I hear those people saying, why do they need off if they're going to have off a couple of days this week? But I also do hear, I guess, you know, getting to the All-Star game and, and playing there, it's, it's, it's mentally draining, it's physically draining, all that, whatever it is. I, I, underst- I hear that side too, I guess, so it's whatever. But could Torres and DJ being out of the lineup hurt them today? Could it have been a factor? Sure, it could have. Or maybe it wasn't. But the hitting seems to have slowed down. You missed Luke Voigt, you missed DJ and Torres today. But another guy I just want to mention really quick before I move on to just generally recapping the whole first half before we wrap things up here on this edition of Yapping Yankees. I do want to call someone out, and I know it might be a little bit premature, and I'm not going to go insane. It's just I really need Edwin Encarnacion to start hitting the ball. I need him to stop striking out, and I need him to stop popping the ball up. 
He's behind on fastballs. He's getting underneath fastballs and not underneath them to the point where home runs are being hit. I'm talking about underneath for pop-ups. And he's got to start hitting. I was an I was I was pretty much I was a supporter for the Edwin Encarnacion trade because of how little the Yankees had to give away. So I didn't have a problem with the trade, but at the same time, he was brought here to do something. Let's start doing something over here. I get he's hit a couple of home runs. I know that. But his batting average has significantly dropped since he's been here. It's maybe in the low to mid 100s. And he hasn't done much. Popping up a lot of balls. Striking out a lot. I just need him to start hitting. I even just, I put that out there on Twitter very briefly too. I just said Edwin needs to start hitting. That's all. So just uh, just a little a little pickiness there. <laughs> and And I'm not singling him out. I know the last two days the whole offense has been quiet. But... I just want Edwin to start hitting a little bit, because this isn't even just a last two th- two uh, the last two days thing. This has been going on with Edwin for a little bit of time now, where he just has not hit well. Just wanted to start hitting. So, just a little general mini recap of the entire first half of the season as we stand now, heading into the Midsummer Classic in 2019. Of course, this will be the last part of Yapping Yankees for today. So, to say the least. The 2019 season has been very it's been very interesting. Very stressful at sometimes, very aggravating at sometimes, and very surprisingly joyful and fun at other times. And you know why I'm saying surprisingly? Because they basically lost the Yankees being all of their starters on the field. Pitchers have gone down to injury. Severino's not in. Paxton went down with an injury for a short time. Herman missed time with the hip flexor. CeCe's been on the IL a couple of times. Patances is out in the bullpen. A lot of Ben Heller's been out in the bullpen. Almost every starter on the field was out. I mean, it, it uh, just against all odds. But the season first started off with you know a lot of the players still in there, even though the IL list was still pretty big. But the Yankees struggled at the beginning of the year. They did. They were under five hundred for like the first, I don't know, week and a half, two weeks maybe. And then when guys like Judge, Stanton, when all of them went down, you're like, oh my God, what are these guys going to do? You got Mike Talkman, Mike Ford. You got Clint Frazier up here. You got you got Ty- uh, Tyro Estrada. You got all these guys. And you're like, are these guys going to be able to at least keep this team afloat, maybe around a 500 record if that? And boy, did they do even more. And I got shades of this. In the Tampa series a little bit when Mike Ford and Mike Talkman were hitting back to back again. So we're getting shades of that May team, baby. <laughs> even that even that late April team, maybe. But I mean, it, it was it was really a surprise because when everybody went down, when Judge wasn't there, when Hicks wasn't there. I mean, it, the the one that really stayed in mostly was Gardner. I mean, from from the starting nine. And DJ was there. And even, you know, you got DJ LeMay, who's been, of course, I think he's been the MVP of the Yankees this year. I mean, MVP of the AL, you could debate that till the cows come home, but I will definitely support an argument saying that he's the MVP of the Yankees. And you have Gio Urshela, lifetime batting average, I believe, in the 230s before this year, just unbelievably takes on the mantle of... Miguel Andujar, who should have won the Rookie of the Year after last year, he gets hurt, and of course, now we know he's out for the rest of the year. But, against all odds, this team, with 
Gio Urshela at third with guys like Tyro Estrada at, at short in place of DD, or maybe Torres over at short and DJ at second. Luke Voigt at first, another guy that stuck around until now, now he's even on the IL right now. And Torres stuck around too, and, and guys like Mike Talkman out in right field or Clint Frazier. It, it, it was unbelievable what this team was able to accomplish. Gary Sanchez behind the plate, for, except for that little time that he was hurt. And then you had Austin Roman behind there getting it done. The rotation staying clutch. The bullpen doing well and pulling through. This team against all odds not only kept the Yankees afloat, but they put them way over to the point where they were battling for first place and eventually overtook first place. And that was throughout the month of May, really. The May Yankees were a blast. That's why when the beginning of June came around and they were struggling a bit, everybody was saying, I want the May Yankees back. And there was controversy. What's going to happen when guys like Stanton and Judge come back? These big power guys are going to mess up the team chemistry in a time where Clint Frazier was the most reliable hitter in games, you know, like against the Royals or against or against the Angels on the road. Remember that series? That crazy extra inning game where we were up until like almost 3 a.m. and then Clint Frazier got that hit in extra innings and hurt his ankle? I mean, up until that hurting the ankle, Clint Frazier was fantastic. So, just a lot of crazy things happen. And, of course, there was a controversy. What's going to happen when the big guys come back? Stanton came back briefly and went right back on the IL. Judge is back, of course. Now, Voight was back on the, uh, you know, at first base, and he and now he's on the IL, of course. Glaber was there. DD is returned. Sanchez, of course, after his short IL stint, came back. Hicks is back. So, they, they, they got a lot of reinforcements again. And, of course, Herman just came back. CeCe came back after his IL stints. Paxton came back after his knee trouble. So they had reinforcements, definitely. And they were struggling a bit in the beginning of June. But then as June came around, as it continued on, they started to find their stride a bit again. And the offense stayed resilient as it was in May. I would say the Yankees are amongst the, mo- the most resilient offenses in baseball, if not the most resilient. So they found their way again, even with their guys back. And now July has run through, and July's been pretty good too so far, even though it's very early on in July. And we'll see how they are after the All-Star break. But for the most part, guys, I mean, here's, here's your outlook as we're heading into the All-Star break. Remember this, no matter what the end result of the season is, these are your ALE standings right now on July 7th, 2019. The Yankees are leading the AL East with a record of 57-31, and 31, up in first place. Six and a half games over the second place Tampa Bay Rays, who have a 52-39 and 39 record. Boston is in third place, nine games behind the Yankees, two and a half behind the Rays with a 49-41 and 41 record. Again, they're coming off of a sweep of Detroit. They swept the Tigers over this weekend. And then, of course, Toronto and Baltimore, who are way out of it, 24 and a half games out of first place of the Blue Jays with a 34 and 57 record and the Orioles 30 and a half games back in the basement of the AL East with a 27 and 62 record. So again, here we stand on July 7th. The Yankees are up in first place by six and a half games. Again, with all the injuries, 
with all the pulling through, with all the battling, all the resilience, this season has been nothing short of a damn roller coaster for the New York Yankees. There's no doubt about that. But if they stick together, they find consistency, especially in the starting rotation. If guys like Paxton continue to do well, if Hap fixes himself and somehow pitches like, like any way that he did in the second half last year when he came over by the deadline, if Luis Severino somehow finds his way back and finds, finds his old self again, if CeCe continues to battle, might pull something together here, make a move at the deadline. Again, that's, that's yet to happen, and a lot of people are continuing to echo, the Yankees need pitching, the Yankees need pitching. We all know they need pitching. But what will they do to get that pitching? That's a mystery. We'll still have to see with that. So that is where we stand. Going into the All-Star break, starting pitching needs a roller coaster season for the Yankees that now has them at a 57-31 and 31 record, six and a half games up in the AL East. I would say it's been pretty good so far. What do you think? Let me know. And again, if you ever want to talk to me, if you ever want to send me a question, comment, concern until we get more things going on in this podcast, more advanced things, then just DM me on Twitter. Follow me on Twitter at Mike Scudero and DM me. I don't bite. I will give you a shout-out on the podcast, and I will address your statement or question or whatever it may be. And also, as always, be sure to follow me on all social medias, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, the whole deal. I'm still waiting to see if I'm going to move this over to YouTube. I probably will, and I will, of course, keep you posted with any and all changes that come to the Yapping Yankees podcast in the future. So, once again, with that said, be sure to follow me on all social media at MikeScuderoNY. On my Facebook fan page, at Mike Scudero on Twitter, and MikeScuds97 on Instagram. Again, I'm trying to make better use of my Insta story to get the word about the podcast out, so stay tuned to that as well. So, again, thank you so much for listening today here on July 7th, 2019, and be sure to tune in again next Sunday night, as always, for another edition of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap Yankees and nothing but the Yankees. I'm Mike Scudero. Take it easy. I'll talk to you next week and enjoy the All-Star break, guys. 